you would open your Bibles to the book of Acts, we're going to be looking at chapter 5, but we're going to finish off the end of chapter 4. Yeah, if you want to come, anyone from the choir that come forward, please do. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for leading us through worship. Uh, I do appreciate that. We are in Acts chapter 5, but we're going to start from 436. 436 starts, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to you, how could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look! The feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the difficult passages of Scripture. As I was preparing this this week, Father, my toes hurt. I pray that you would get me out of the way, Father, and that truly you would speak through your word. Lord, speak to us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict of us of our sin, that we would realize the weight of our sin that cost Jesus Christ his life and yet your intense desire to have communion with us, that His death was worth it to you. God, I pray that as we look at this passage today, you would impress upon us the gravity of our sin, the greatness of your grace, and our need for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Joshua 7, which we read earlier, is a passage most of the time you avoid if you're preaching. People being struck dead isn't usually something you want to talk about in church. 
Acts chapter 5 happens to be the same. But if I committed to preach through Acts, chapters 1 through 4, chapter 5 is just as much God's Word. In fact, it's important that we hear what we're speaking about today. Because it has great importance for our lives. Survival is in the balance. I have an Aunt Susan. She lives in Colorado. She just moved to an area called Walsenburg. And Walsenburg is famous because it stands in the shadow of two of the biggest peaks in the Rockies. They're called the Spanish Peaks. The top 1,000 feet is just shale, so it's rocks. So you get to a certain point, and you get above the tree line, and there's still a little bit of grass. And then you get to a certain point, and it's just rocks from there on up. And it's famous because it's really hard to get to the top. You take a couple steps up, and then you start sliding down. You take a couple, and that's just what happens. My aunt decided to take this hike. She's not afraid of anything. And as she was going up, she got to the part where it had the shale. And she talks about this, and she said, you know, I got to a certain point up there, and it sounded like bees were buzzing around my head. So I kept just trying to swat them. And I didn't see any, but it just sounded like it. And she'd been trying to go up, but at a certain point, they realized we're just not going to make it to the top. It was, it was late in the afternoon, and, um, and she's, so she and her friend decided to come back down. Later, they told somebody about this, and the ranger told them, actually, that means that you are about to be struck by lightning. What happens, this mountain is famous for its death, not because mountain climbers fall, but because when you're in the shale, a lot of people get struck by lightning in the afternoon because there's a lot of storms that happen in the afternoon. So if you climb, they tell you, you need to be off the peak by noon. You see, she had thought that it was just bees, which, that's a big deal. No one wants to be stung by bees. Being struck by lightning is much worse. The, the danger she was in was so much bigger than she had even imagined. When we approach our sin, sometimes we think it's just like bees. Oh, it's just a little one. It's not that big a deal. It's just a little white lie. It's just this one time. What we don't realize, you're not just sinning. It's no, there's no such thing as an innocent sin. You are sinning against the God of the universe. And the danger of that is much greater than you realize. You see, because of our communion with the Father, because of the death of His Son, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we should recognize the weight of our sin. That is what our passage today is about. If you have your Bibles open, please do keep them open. In Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37, we see a picture of a perfect community. Last week when, when the sermon started, everyone was sharing, everyone was getting along. It just seemed so nice. It would have made a great painting. But in verse 36, and in verse 36 and 37, we see an example of this. Not only was everyone sharing, but there's the story of this man Barnabas, who later becomes famous. He sells his land, everyone's getting along, and it's great. It's the Christian ideal. But that's not the case for everyone in the church. Not then, and not today. There was sin. There was a sin problem amongst the people of God. And Luke, the author of Acts, is honest. Not everyone acted with virtue. And you need to understand that Satan is an important actor behind the scenes. In this, as he's a, it's this cosmic force trying to overcome God's people. But you know what Revelation tells us? He will not overcome Jesus wins. But we need to realize there's much more going on than just meets the eye. So let's jump into the passage. If you look at verses 1 through 11 of chapter 5, we see an imperfect Christian community. 
First, verses 1 through 2 sort of set us up for the setting of this sin. Ananias, his name means the Lord is gracious. And Sapphira means beautiful. So Ananias probably had Christian parents who prioritized their faith. And, and throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, names are important. And so his parents probably named him, and they were followers of God. And clearly, as we talked about last week, Ananias and Sapphira were part of the 4 to 7%, so the very most wealthy who own their own house and more property. And so they sell a piece of property and bring the proceeds before the apostles. But it says they kept back some of the proceeds. What's amazing is that verse, kept back, is the exact same verb that is used in Joshua chapter 7 of Achan's sin. We just read about Achan. How when God had, when they entered, when they were going to conquer Jericho, God had said, do not keep anything for yourself. Later, when we conquer other cities, you'll be able to take spoils, but this city has been devoted to destruction and everything must be destroyed. But Achan just thought he knew better than God, and so he kept a little bit for himself. He kept back. And that word is connected throughout the Bible. That verb is connected to financial fraud. Someone who is trying to cheat. Someone who is trying to steal. Now my question is, what was the sin? In verse 2, part of it was with his wife's knowledge. You know, they hadn't just stumbled upon their sin. They planned, they premeditated, Ananias and Sapphira, man and wife, they premeditated to sin, to commit this sin. Here we see Sapphira is actually an enabler. She's helping her husband to sin, and she's doing it herself. I also want you to notice that keeping part of the money was not the sin. In verse 4, you'll notice Peter said, it was all, you could have kept it all. That's not the problem. If you sell a piece of property and you want to keep the money, that's not a problem. Go ahead. The problem is, what? They lied. They tried to deceive. Look at the sin of Ananias in verses 3 through 6. One of the things I want us to notice is Satan's role. Look at Peter's question. How or why has Satan filled your heart? And as a result, he tried to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep the money for yourself. Think back to when Jesus was betrayed by Judas. In Luke chapter 22, verse 3, it says, Satan entered into Judas. Or, or for example, Luke twenty-two thirty-three. 33, Peter is tested. And then later, there's, there's a section where literally, uh, a Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, there's times that Satan has used even Jesus' own disciples. Scary. But Satan is trying to overcome the people of God. And think about the contrast too. Up until this point, we've heard about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you guys remember this? At several times, the Holy Spirit will fill somebody. What does it say here? It says that Satan filled, filling the heart is what Satan does to Ananias. It influences their decision. It encourages them to lie. Satan fills him and his actions are opposite to what those actions of the Holy Spirit would be. So when the Spirit comes, people are other-centered. The Word and the service of the church move forward. They prosper. But Ananias is supposed to be honest before God and to God, and Peter and both God know that he is not. His sin is not in service of the church, but is dishonest towards the church community. Remember, the Word suggests financial fraud. Now, There's a danger here. Some in the Christian world try to overemphasize Satan. They say they blame everything on Satan. They look for him under every rock. I think that's unhealthy. 
Because there's times that we are responsible for our sin. Yes, we're influenced, but we made the decision. However, there's other parts of the Christian community that pretend like Satan isn't even in the Bible. Unfortunately, he is. Here's what we need to realize. Satan is our foe. He is there. But God is stronger. Mighty. Jesus conquered Satan on the cross. He knows he's lost. And at this point, he just hasn't found out yet. There's, there's a story about how after, during World War II, uh, Japan had actually surrendered, but some of the Japanese troops on the Pacific Islands hadn't found out. So the war, in some senses, continued after, or a, f- a few weeks after the surrender because they hadn't heard. They continued to fight. The war had been won, but there were still some sparse skirmishes. That's what's happening today. Jesus Christ won the victory on the cross. We are in the last days waiting for our King to return. And so what I'd encourage you, yes, we need to realize that Satan is influencing things. But don't spend your time worrying about our foe. Spend your time looking to God, looking to Christ. Because He loves us and He cares for us. But we also see, so that's part of what's influencing Ananias. The other thing that's influencing Ananias are the opinions of men. You see, the sin was not keeping the money for himself. Peter shows that he had control and authority over his land and nothing required him to give it to the community. Their deceitful act seems to have been motivated by their desire, listen carefully, to appear more generous than they truly were. Their desire for human praise, they wanted to be patted on the back by other people, and their desire for human praise was more important to them than being faithful to God. What does Peter say to him? You have not lied to men, but to God. Think on that. Your sin is not private. Your sin is not innocent. Their sin was before God. Our sin is before God. Stop and think about that for a second. The God of the universe, who created heaven and earth, when we sin, when we disobey, it's an act against Him. Just in Sunday school, we were talking about how He is sovereign. That's hard, that's hard to hear. So often when we're sitting by ourselves or when we're doing our thing and we just we think that we live in this little bubble and that no one can see it. God can see it. And so we see God's divine judgment of this sin. The Greek is really abrupt here. He falls and dies. And this term for dying is always for the wicked. You see that in 5.5, you see it in 5.10, you see it in 12.23, throughout the book of Acts. Whenever this word is used, of this kind of death is because the wicked have died. And in Judaism, the burial was done the same day, but because he was struck by the hand of heaven, they do it exceptionally quickly. They bury him immediately. Ananias is treated as something unclean. If you look at the Old Testament, whenever there was something unclean, they would actually take it out of the camp. We read with Achan, what did they do? Not only did they stone them, but then they buried them, and then they covered it in rocks, and no one was allowed to go near it because it was unclean. Sort of the same opinion that we have of hazardous materials. If you have somebody that works with hazmat, you stay away from them, right? You don't want any of that stuff to get near you. That's how they treated what was unclean. Sin is contagious. That's the idea behind this practice. And if you look at verses 7 through 10, not only did Ananias sin, but we see the sin continued by Sapphira. You see, she arrives. The question is, how did she not know that her husband had just died? Did somebody not tell her what was going on? But somehow she doesn't know, and she arrives. Maybe somebody had been sent to bring her back. They didn't tell her what had happened. And she's interviewed by Peter. And the questions are simple. Sapphira had a chance to rectify. She had a chance to fix the problem. 
to fix their wrong. But her reply confirms the lie and their conspiracy. She's confronted, and he asks why she conspired to test the Spirit. That idea of testing God is throughout the Old Testament. And every single time, except for one, it's bad. There's one time in Malachi 3.10 where God says, test me and you will see, and it's about generosity. Every other time, it's when the people did not trust God and complained against Him. And what the Lord describes that as, you have tested me. At the waters of Meribah, they test God. They say, why did you take us out of Israel? You don't love us. You don't care for us. You brought us here to die. And God talks about how he almost destroyed the people of God if Moses hadn't interceded and begged for their life. Like Israel, this couple, these two people, tested God by rejecting his goodness, denying by their action that righteousness is a virtue to possess in God's community. They agreed with each other to sin against God. And so Sapphira's death is immediately. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, we see the exact same thing. Anytime God is establishing a new Christian community, the consequences for sin are immediate. They are quick. And that's exactly what we see here. Now, this may seem harsh, but I think oftentimes we take a softened view against sin. We say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little one. But as I described to our kids, there's no such thing as a little sin. And those are but stepping stones. Think about how oftentimes, if, you, if, if there's somebody who owns uh, a weapon, they are very careful with it. It is not a toy. As soon as it becomes just a play toy, that's when accidents happen. For example, drinking and driving. We say, oh, that's not that big a deal until something happens. There was, uh, when I was the youth pastor here, uh, we were actually in youth group when uh, the sibling of somebody who was in the youth group got into a really bad wreck. They were racing down 49 with someone else, and they hit a mom and an infant. Both died instantly. The kids survived. In my youth group, it wasn't even somebody from my youth group. It was a sibling. The rest of that year, everyone drove so carefully. Oh, it's not that big a deal to drive fast until something happens. And then we remember, our actions have consequences. We may get away with them sometimes, but our actions have consequences. Here, it's not, we, sometimes we say, oh, it's just a white lie, it's just my taxes, it's just porn, it's not like it's hurting anybody. Sometimes we blame our personality. It's not my fault I hurt their feelings, I'm just a blunt person. My question to you, what about Christ's call to kindness? That is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not my fault I lose my temper. I'm from Colombia. It's just it's part of my DNA. What about the call to patience, the call to self-control? When we make little excuses for our sin, they get really, really big, really, really fast. Look at the title for our sermon today. <laughs> if you're going to lie, and the, well, I was going to put, if you're going to lie against the Holy Spirit, don't. Actually, if you're going to lie, just don't. You need to realize our sin really, really matters. The reality, your sin, my sin, placed Christ on the cross, the creator of the universe. Those wrong things separated you and me from God, and it's spitting on his sacrifice to go wallowing back to those sins. And this passage reminds us, sin has consequences. The wages of sin is death, Romans tells us. What happened to them, Ananias and Sapphira, is the way the universe is ordered. We deserve to die when we sin. And I also think about disciplining our children. 
being careful with little things. My wife and I, about five years ago, we read a book called, no, it was less than that, three years ago, we read a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And up until that point, I really railed into my oldest daughter, I'll be honest. Uh, If she didn't act exactly how I wanted to, I was exceptionally strict because I felt that it reflected upon me. But the more, when we read this book, and we, we really took our time to realize, the purpose of discipline is realizing this is a person, and one day this person will make his or her own decisions. And my goal is not that she'll just do what I want while she's living under my roof. My goal is that she will grow up to be a woman of God, that my son will grow up to be a man of God, that they will love him, that they will know that their, their, their actions have consequences. So if you tell a little lie now, you will have a larger tendency to do it later. But if you learn the consequences of sin now, you will know the, consequence, the consequences of sin later. That is the purpose of discipline. Show them they are sinning not just against you, but they are sinning against God himself. That's what the purpose of discipline in our children is. That's what the purpose of caring for each other's children. And it's so easy to caught up, be caught up with the behavior, but we have to realize this matters not just for us, but it matters for our children. And so what do we see in verse 11, the response of the church? What's amazing here we see in verse 11 is the first time in the book of Acts that the word church is used. This is the first time. And it's, it, from here on out, 23 other references, sometimes... And the idea is, later it talks about the disciples, the saints, the Christians, but the idea is that from this point on, the church was formed and they understood the, the sin. You see, most sin is not treated so harshly, but at this early stage, such a divine act serves to remind the community of its call to holiness and loyalty to God. They were a holy people of God who were not perfect. And so what do we see in verses 12 through 16. This is the third summary statement. What do I mean by that? So far as we've been going through the book of Acts, there's these sort of summary statements. If you've got your Bible open and you look at 242, you'll remember when we preached on that section, it it sort of described the people of God and how they dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to prayer. The other, that's the first summary. The second summary is in 432 and it talked about how they shared their possessions and they had things in common. This, what we're about to look at, is the third summary statement. And it always comes right after the Holy Spirit does something big. The thing is, the first two, the Holy Spirit does something big, and it's nice. They're speaking in tongues, they're preaching the gospel, they're, 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 they're sharing. Here, suddenly, the Holy Spirit did something that we think, <gasps> that's not so nice. You have to realize, God is holy. God is perfect. His character is, we don't deserve to be near Him. He is just but he is also good. And that we cling to that hope. If you look at verses, verses 12 and verses 15, it talks about the miracles and the, the, the healing. It, this summary statement describes how they continued to occur. In verse 12, the signs and the wonders of the apostles continued in contrast to the previous sign. In verse 15, people are being healed even just by, the, by Peter's shadow, which is seen nowhere else. This is the only part where it talks about just someone's shadow was able to heal somebody. Uh, Paul's handkerchiefs were used in Acts 19, or Jesus was healed from a distance sometimes. But the idea is the miracles are going forward. And also, you see that both the sick and the demon-possessed, in verse 16, are being healed, not just from Jerusalem, but the surrounding areas. You see, their fame, their reputation is growing. People from the countryside are starting to realize, I could be healed. So they come forward. They realize the power of Jesus Christ. But I encourage you to remember, when we talked about the peeling of the paralyzed man, 
It's not just the healing of the outside body. What was that a sign of? It was a sign of inward healing. When a blind man was healed, the idea of is, is, is our eyes are covered in sin, but yet God can restore us. Not only it did actually physically happen, but it was meant to point them towards a greater reality, their need of sin. And so we see the response of the people. First, they are afraid, but also they hold the apostles in high regard. Look at verse 13 to 14. It, it describes the rest who didn't dare to join them. They're probably believers who recognized the tense environment and wanted to avoid the persecution. But they also realized, you see, these apostles have access to judgment. That would make me really afraid to go to church. And so these people are sort of standing from a distance, but they're realizing sin has consequences. And so the people feared. But remember, there's two types of fear. One of them is being petrified, but one of them deals with respect. We should fear God. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. However... We need to realize that He loves us. Those two should go hand in hand. And it's shown by the people bringing the sick to the apostle. You see, God still cares. And so they go, it, it talks about how they go to Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's portico. And what's amazing is this, this area of the temple was already pretty famous. This is in chapter 3, verse 11. This is where the paralyzed man, this is where they st- Peter stands up and gives his sermon, where people start to become a Christian. But also, in, in, in John chapter 10, verses 20 through 23, Jesus stands up in this exact same spot in Solomon's portico. And he describes the Jews coming to ask him, Are you the Christ? And at this spot, Jesus tells them, The miracles I do for my Father's name speak for me, but you don't believe in me because you are not my sheep. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus Christ said those very words at this exact spot where Peter and the other apostles are standing and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can almost see them saying some of those exact words. And remember, people continue to believe. The church is growing at this point. And so this summary statement is not a coincidence. You see, first, it, it's a demonstration of, it, the first demonstration of the Holy Spirit was the tongues. The second demonstration of the Holy Spirit was when people started sharing. This third demonstration of the Holy Spirit was God's judgment on sin. And people, even in the other sections they were converted, here, they're also converted. You see, discipline of sin is a matter of growth. It's a matter of maturity. Church growing numerically, yes, that's important. We want more people to come hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also want to grow spiritually. We need to realize that we cannot remain the way we are. We need to continually grow in our Christianity and our faith. We need to realize those sins, those things that we cling on to and give them to Christ. Ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him to change us. Here's the thing. It's never easy. And sometimes through the process, you will get hurt. Sin hurts. It hurts us. And it hurts to tear it away. And it's also awkward. You don't... Whenever the Holy Spirit starts pointing out sin in our life, it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you not want to go to church. It makes you not want to talk to that person that God used to, to, to bring it up or, or, or things, something like that. It's, it's uncomfortable. And yet, it's purifying. The Bible describes this purification process as gold going through the fire. Can you imagine that gold in there? Ouch. That's what this process is. And we see the leaders of the church are involved in this. But here's the biggest thing I want to point out to us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not our job to go up to each other and say, hey, you've really got this sin, you need to work on it. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's Him working in our hearts. But 
when he speaks, we need to listen. We need to consider the gravity of our sin. If you've never asked God for forgiveness, do it now. Christ's death is the alternative to your own death. He called us to a life in himself forever. Beautiful hope that we have in Jesus Christ. If you're already a Christian, take time to ask God to reveal areas of sin that need to be changed. Don't be complacent. Ask the Holy Spirit to weed out your sin. But here's my warning, and you know this already. It hurts. I have deep issues. Family issues, things like that, that areas of forgiveness that I've held, that I need to, I need to ask for His forgiveness. I need to approach those people and, and, and bring reconciliation. They've been in my heart for decades. And God, thankfully, usually just shows me one at a time. If He showed them all to me, I'd be overwhelmed. But little by little, He shows me those areas of sin, things that I still cling to. You know what my hope is? Christ is bigger than my sin. There's nothing that I have done and nothing that I can do that can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. And yet I'm called to look more like Him. You have that exact same hope. We are also called to enjoy the grace of God, the love of Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Here's the beauty. When you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, He's promised to do it. You have assurance of salvation. And you also have the assurance that, like it or not, God is working in your heart. (laughs) And God is shaping you and changing you. It's called sanctification. Third, look around you. No, seriously, go ahead. Look at each other. You see, these folks sitting across the pew are also sinners, desperately in need of God's grace. And in the same way that you need to know, and that they need to know that you are a work in progress, you need to know the same about them. You are not the Holy Spirit, but God may use you in the transformational promise process. How? The work of the Spirit. What were those two things that when, whenever the Spirit works, what is it that happens? It's the preaching of the Word, and it's the service of the church. God is using you to bring that about. That should give you incredible hope. So as we look at this passage, yes, we need to realize the gravity of sin. But we also need to realize the grace of God. God is so good to us. So as He changes you and as He shapes you, cling to who Jesus Christ is and how he's shown his love for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. God, even as I was preparing this, I I don't know if I wanted to preach it, but I needed it. Father, I needed to be reminded that my sin matters, but that you are greater than my sin, that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in my place. God, I also thank you for the community around us. Thank you that slowly you are taking sin from our lives and wrestling it from us. And God, I pray that you would do it for me. God, I know that the price is heavy, and I know that the process must be so frustrating because I cling to this this filth. Please forgive me. Please change my heart. God, I pray that you would make us new. I pray that the same grace that you've shown to us that we would show to each other as you do this process of sanctification. Most of all, God, I pray that when people from the community look inward at us, not that they would see a perfect people, but they would see a forgiven people. God, cause us to bring reconciliation both inside and outside the church. It's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen.